Good morning. It's great to have you here with us. And if you're joining us online, uh, welcome. We're glad you're joining us either uh, today or later on this week if you're watching or listening. We are, as Darren said, in week two of, yes, it's a series that we kicked off last week, but I want to tell you, if you're, if you're here with us again, or maybe you're here with us for the first time, um, this isn't just a series that we kicked off last week. We kicked off a, a brand new season here at White Oak, and it's going to be a two-year journey that we take together as a church family. And one of our, our primary goals is that 100% of us, our kids, our teenagers, everybody in this room, that we're all going on this journey together. And I, can't tell, I, I have not been more excited to share with you, and neither of our campus pastors and our speakers who are here um, over the next few weeks, to share with you what God has put on our hearts and what we see God is getting ready to do in this place. And so to help you, like when you go hiking, um, if you've got a trail map or a guide, right, we've got a guide for you for this journey. So we, we passed out last week a guide, and if you weren't here last week or you didn't get one, would you put up your hand because we want to get one to you now. We've got people right here in the back that are going to get one to you. Don't be, don't, this, is, this is like you're going to want this book because it's got everything you're going to need to know for the next few weeks. So just put your hand up high, keep it there until it starts burning and aching, and then just switch arms. Just keep going back and forth, all right, um, like that. So keep them up high because we want everybody to have one. Everybody in the room, teenagers, doesn't, I mean, everybody, okay? Um, make sure you bring this with you, all right? Because I want to go through with you what's in this guide because this is kind of your lifeline through this initiative. If you don't have a guide, you can pick one up, and I'll mention that later on. If you're watching online, you can go to shakenchurch.com, shakenchurch.com, and you can find all things shaken, including a digital copy of the guide on our website, shakenchurch.com, okay? So let me tell you about what you see, what you're gonna see in your guide, right? The first um, half of the book is gonna be a vision summary. It's gonna be a vision of what Shaken is about, what our goals are, all right? And you can read through that. You can read all of the details. You're gonna want to make sure you take time to read through the vision. The second thing you're gonna know, and it starts on page 26, starts there, are there's message notes, okay? So there are places, I don't know if you're a note taker, maybe you can become one, maybe you can try it out for the next couple weeks, all right? I'm not a super big note taker, but I tried, I started last week, all right? And you can write notes down about the things that we talk about here on Sunday mornings or the things that you hear if you're listening online, and you can take notes on things that you feel like God's just kind of prompting you to read or think about later, all right? So try that out, even if you're not a note taker, right? Next to that, you're gonna find life group material. We want everybody in this season to be in a life group, right? It's a short term. It's a four-week study. We're, we're already one week into it. Even if you're not in a life group, you can go through the life group material on your own, right? And we encourage you to do that or do it with your family, all right? But you've got your life group material there that's going to help you dig a little deeper and get the most out of the shaken experience as we just kick off this season, all right? So you're going to want the guide for that. The next thing that you'll see attached to that guide, and it's just something that I just want you to put in a prominent place right now, is a commitment card. And you don't need to do anything with that, with that, that today or next week, all right? We're going to talk more about it as, as the weeks roll on. But this is just some place for you to put this. It's something for you to put it somewhere prominent. Mine's been on my refrigerator for a couple months now, all right? I, I had one before you guys did. But um, so that I, we can look, and we go to the refrigerator a lot, by the way. So every time I see that, I think, all right, what is God? What's God gonna do for me and my wife and, and my kids? How is he shaking in us and, and doing something in us um, so that we can take a step of trust in him? So this is just a place right now for you to say, uh, what's God gonna do in and through me? And so you can put that someplace prominent, and we'll talk about this a little bit later in the next couple of weeks. 
So in Acts chapter 4, Acts is, a, is, is in the New Testament. It's a history of the church in the New Testament of the Bible. All right? The believers gather together and they start praying. All right? And I love this picture. They're praying and they're asking God to do something in them and in their city and that only he can do. They say, Sovereign Lord, we know that everything that exists is yours. And so we ask you now, through the name of your holy servant Jesus, to do signs and perform wonders and miracles through his name in our city and through us. And what Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, tells us is, as they prayed that prayer, asking God's power to do what only God's power can do, the place where they were meeting was shaken by the power of the Spirit. I mean, the floor, the walls, the ceiling literally shook with God's power, and they moved out sharing the name of Jesus boldly. And guys, listen, that's what I want for myself. That's what I want for my family. And that's what I want for for your house and for our church, is that we would ask God to do such big and bold things through us that we would feel his power shaking and moving in us. I don't believe that we serve a God who performed very, very differently in the New Testament. I think we still serve that same God, that he has not changed, and that he's eager to move in us so that he can move through us. That's what we mean by shaken. And I'm praying for that. I'm praying that for you, that you will be shaken so that our church can move forward boldly. That's what this season is all about. And so this is our big idea for today. In fact, you'll see that on page 30, that's week two of your, in your guide. So I'm not going to let you forget this, all right? Page 30, week two, our big idea, all right, this is our main topic for today. I'm going to keep coming back to it, is that freedom is only found in surrender, all right? And you're going to see, we're going to ask God to shake up our lives today, all right, as we ask him to do that in this season, that freedom is only found in surrender. Write that down. Last week. We kicked off, and if you brought your guide back with you, good for you. If you forgot it, I'm sorry, all right? I don't know if we have enough for you to grab another one, but I'll never know if you do, okay? But you can grab another one out in the, out in the lobby, all right? But last week, we were in Acts chapter 3, all right? And if you missed it, go to shakenchurch.com, all right? You're going to be so sick of me hearing me say this. Shakenchurch.com, because you can listen to last week's message, since it's kicked off a really important, powerful season in White Oak, right? You can listen to that message at shakenchurch.com. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, two young men who had followed Jesus and knew him well, two of his best friends, they approach the busy temple complex for a prayer meeting. And so thousands of people are coming into the temple. They end up healing a man that had been crippled since birth. And he starts walking and jumping and praising God for this healing. All right, sensing um, the Holy Spirit providing an opportunity as a crowd, as you might imagine, like swarms around to see what happens, Peter starts to speak to the crowd. And in Acts chapter 3, verse 16, this is what he says to them. He says, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you all can see. Now, I'll tell you this, okay? In the ancient world, and I feel like we talked about this several months ago, but that's because I preached the sermon, so I remember it. But um, in the ancient world, in Jesus' day, your name meant something, okay? Your name had, had significance in your life, okay? It's not, not so much today, but, but then your name had currency, It was your character. In your name, you carried your integrity, your family lineage, 
okay? Your name was attached to identity. Um, the, the Middle Eastern culture then, as still today, is a shame and honor culture, all right? So your name had tremendous value to yourself, to your family, and to the community, all right? Now, we don't really put that much stock, at least in, in, in our Western cultures and names today. We pretty much just name our boys after cities in Texas, um, <laughs> right? Or, or we name our, we figure out how to spell the same girl's name about 15 different ways, all right? And that's just kind of how we do it. That's how we name today. But then names had power behind them, okay? And, and Jesus's name had power, all right? But not just power like, like any cultural name had power. Jesus' name had power to set people free. So that's what we're going to focus on today is that name that has power. And we're going to talk about three things that, that Jesus' name does for you. We're going to talk about three of them. One is, what does his name do in you? The second thing is, what does Jesus' name not do? It's just as important. All right? And what does Jesus' name do through you? All right? So I'm going to hit those three things. So we're going to stay in Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 18. And if you want to write down this passage, because you're going to want to like um, read it in its entirety later. Acts chapter 3, verse 18, through chapter 4, verse 22. Okay? That's where we're going to stay. Peter is still addressing this crowd that has gathered, seeing this man been healed. All right? And we're going to pick it up in verse 18 there in chapter 3. He says, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all of the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins might be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. This is quite an invitation Peter's making to this audience, right? They've just seen this man healed, and he says, you know how he was healed? He was healed through Jesus, right? Jesus, the one that was just crucified, Weeks ago, the one that we were witnesses to who rose from the dead, that Jesus, that's the name, that's the power, all right? And if you repent, times of refreshing will flood into your life. They'll come pouring into your life. So what is name, what does Jesus' name do in you? This is important, and I encourage you to write this down. Well, if you believe, you'll receive salvation and freedom. This is Peter's message. This is, this is the message we get. What, is, what does Jesus' name do in you? Well, if you believe... You receive salvation and freedom. So let's unpack that a little bit more, all right? The biggest issue surrounding our issue with belief, or hey, this is our issue with belief, okay, yours and mine today, is that we might believe in the name of Jesus, but we actually believe in the name of future Jesus, all right? Now, let me explain what I mean by that. We actually cling to future Jesus. We say, yeah, we, we might believe that Jesus sets us free from, from guilt and shame someday. Someday, when I'm in heaven, I'll be free from the sin th problem, okay? Someday, Jesus will, I'll be able to course correct my life. I'll be able to get on track someday when I'm older, when I'm near dead, when Jesus comes back and we all go to heaven. That's when Jesus will kind of make things right in my life and set my life in the right direction, right? Someday, these things happen. That's what I mean, that we follow often future Jesus, all right? For many of us, Jesus is like, the, um, like a leafy green vegetable, okay? All right? You kind of like it. It's okay. Like, you know it's necessary, all right? You know you should put him on your plate every once in a while, all right? You know you shouldn't skip him at the, at the bar, at the salad bar, all right? So you put him on your plate because you've heard that there's value and you don't want to drop dead of a heart attack at 50 years old, all right? So that's why you and I take Jesus, 
because he doesn't have any real practical value for us now. It's, he's nice, but it's all later when we'll receive the benefits. Do you understand that? It's all about later. It's about avoiding something horrific now, and hopefully that will have something better later. And that's the Jesus that we often follow, future Jesus. So most of us kind of posture ourselves in that position. We form our priorities around future Jesus. We form our hope and our lives around future Jesus. He offers no real practical use to your life right now. But Peter, when he addresses this crowd... And nor Jesus before him ever left that option with people. So if you go through um, any of the Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, any of the Gospels that tell of Jesus' life, you're going to notice something right away. Never did Jesus invite people, and I mean never did Jesus invite people, to just hear his words and um, try them out. He never leave people with like, hey, I'm just going to like slip this advice to you, think on it. He never said that, all right? No one ever walked away from Jesus thinking, man, that guy was a pretty good teacher, gave sound advice, maybe I'll take it up. No one ever walked away just thinking, he's a good teacher, a little crazy, but he gives good advice, right? No one ever said that. Jesus never presented himself as someone who could just inspire you to live a better version of yourself. Jesus never left anybody with the impression that he would do that. Right? With Jesus, both from his own words and from Peter's, and anybody, and Paul, anybody you read, all right, it, there was always urgency. Always urgency. You had to do something with Jesus then. Jesus was not a future Jesus. Jesus was somebody that required a here and now response. Do you understand that? Like Jesus always required a here and now response. So P- G- Peter tells his audience, you've got to believe in this name. Repent. And these times of refreshing will be filled in your life. So what does repent mean? It means to, to turn around, to turn and go into a different direction. And so when people like you and I hear that, we say, well, okay, well, what do I need to repent of? Well, what about your relationships? See, we often are in relationships out of duty or out of selfish gain. How does this relationship make me feel? Is it serving me in the way that I want it to serve? But if you were to flip the script on those relationships and repent of the more self-serving version of them and say, yeah, all right, but I'm in this relationship as a dad, as a husband, as a friend, as a coworker, as a teammate, whatever, all right, then, then I'm actually poised in position to show God and God's characteristics to this other person. I am with them so that they can see God through me. That's a different kind of relationship. All right, so we need to repent. We need to turn around. What if it's a matter of my priorities or my finances, right? Have we brought our finances to the feet of Jesus and said, it's all yours anyway, and I take back these portions of it because I've been using it for a lot of other stuff but I've really not been using it to fuel your mission, Father, right? There's a, there's a way that we repent for that. I'll tell you what, as I have seen this commitment card on my refrigerator for the past, I don't know, three months, and every time my wife and I take a walk through our neighborhood in the evening, this comes to my mind every time. Like, what are we gonna do? What is God putting on my heart to do? It makes me feel uncomfortable. Probably makes you feel uncomfortable right now. I'm uncomfortable with it. I don't know what God's going to want me to do. 
And, it has, and I, I, I heard someone once say it like this, and, and this question bothers me. I hate it, and so I use it all the time, all right? And that is, um, am I willing to give up something that I love for something that I love more? Am I willing to give up something that I love for something or someone that I love more? My heavenly Father, his purposes. Am I using my, my resources, we'll say my financial resources, or Nathan and Denise, are we using our financial resources to tell God that he is first and primary in our lives? Am I surrendering that to him? You see, in a few weeks, we'll come together for a commitment Sunday, and that's the question that I'm asking, and that you, you'll be asking too, along with me. How is God going to shake us to new places of trust? But, but what Peter says is that belief is one thing, but to repent follows belief. And this is what you and I have to ask ourselves. Are we willing to put ourselves in a posture before Jesus, a posture, and, and, and turn around from, from, a, from an awareness that, you know what, he has not been first, and then turn to him and, and say, he is first, and he has supremacy over everything in my life. I mean, can, can you say that? I could not say that today, right now, standing in front of you, that he has supremacy over every aspect of my life. I want him to, I think. I need him to have it. I know that. But I'm working on it. But when we do that, that's when times of refreshment, Peter says, you know, the, the word refreshing is, I don't know, you can't use the word to define the word, but it, it's very um, refreshing. <laughs> I don't know. I need a thesaurus. Um, when you refresh something, um, it means that it got stale, right? When you refresh something, you're not, you're not creating something new when you refresh something. You, you, you following me? Like, it got stale. It got old. It got... You, less useful to you. When you refresh something, you breathe into it new life. You refurbish. Oh, there's one. Um, you, you refurbish it. You, you, you bring newness to it. You, 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 you shine it up and you polish it and you breathe into it new purpose and energy and life and identity. And Peter says, you believe and you repent in the name of Jesus, your heavenly father will breathe refreshing life into your being. Now, not just later, but oh, how great that's going to be too. Okay, you following with, on that one? That's the power of Jesus' name. New life to your priorities, new life to a living, active hope, not just a future hope, a current hope, freedom from shame now, and a freedom to pursue relationships and priorities and be generous in ways that you never thought possible. That's refreshing, and that's now, guys. See, people who met Jesus in the New Testament, as you read the stories, they either walked away with their lives completely upended and, and changed forever, or they rejected him. Jesus then, as now, never left anyone any other option. Your life is changed forever and totally transformed, or you rejected him. That's the only two options we got. Freedom is only found in surrender. So let's talk about what Jesus' name doesn't do, all right, because that's just as important. What does Jesus' name not do? So follow me on this one and write this one down. You reject him, which is an option. Reject him, and you'll be left wanting and searching. 
Reject him, and you'll be left wanting and searching. Now, I want you to stay with me here. We're going to jump into Acts chapter 4, and I'm going to read quite a bit of a passage here. So if you wrote down in your guide, Acts chapter 4, just 1 through 22, just write that all down. You can follow later, but it's going to be on the screen. Hang with me. It's a pretty big chunk. Okay, are you ready? Take a swig of water. Let's go. All right. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, who were our religious political group, all right, they came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. And they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. Verse 8, we're going to pick it up, and it's the next day. All right, here it is. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and this is the, the religious authorities, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness showing to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, there's that name again, it's by the name, names have power, especially this one, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And then verse 12, salvation is found and no one else, for there is no other name, interesting, under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. That is some fighting words there. There's no other way, Peter says. The name of Jesus is the way for times of refreshing and freedom and power to fill your life. And the thing is, and the sad thing is, and Jesus' heart broke for it, just as Peter's does, I'm sure, is that these men, these religious authorities, Jesus had arrived in power. He healed, and he raised people from the dead, and he spoke in ways that no one had ever heard anyone speak. He performed miracles and signs, and yet they still rejected him. They had their scripture. We have ours. These religious authorities had their traditions and their rules. Maybe you're here today, this morning, because of a tradition or a rule that, well, it's Sunday, we got to go to church. I don't know. Maybe we're, we're, we're entering a season, aren't we? Soon, a holiday season. Midnight, Tuesday morning, Christmas music starts. Okay? Amen. Bring it. Bring it. I'm ready. We're entering a season. <laughs> I totally killed the moment. But we're entering a season where tradition rules your life and mine. Oh, and these Jewish, these religious authorities, these men that Peter's addressing, they had that too. They knew Jesus. Listen to this. They had even seen him perform miracles. But they didn't have Jesus. See, many of us claim to know Jesus. Many of us claim to have been saved by Jesus. Amen. Many of us claim to, to follow Jesus. But we have not surrendered to Jesus. And here's what the name of Jesus cannot do. He just can't do it. He won't accept half-hearted commitment. He just, won't, he just can't. He demands a here and now response because he's a here and now savior. Do you understand that? 
There's a story recorded in Luke chapter 7, and I'm not going to read it, but I want you to write this down because I want you to go and read this this week because it's just, it's just mind-blowing, and it just gives me chills. Luke, chapter, Luke, the book of Luke, chapter 7, and then you're going to read verses 36 through 50, okay? 36 through 50. Sounds long. It's not that long, all right? Jesus has been invited to a religious leader's house for dinner in this event that Luke records for us in Luke 7. All right? Jesus has been invited to this religious leader's house for dinner, a prominent religious leader. He's a part of the Pharisee religious political party. All right? And Jesus will point out to him about halfway through the meal that this man did not offer Jesus any of the customary hospitality that one would have offered if a rabbi or anyone was coming into your home for dinner. Jesus points out, you, the dinner host, you didn't grant me, yeah, you had me for dinner, but you did not grant me any of the hospitality that our culture requires. You snubbed me. And about that same time, a woman enters the house. And, 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 and Jesus is reclining at the table. So the t- table was, you know, two feet, three feet off the ground. They would sit on cushions. And so Jesus' feet was kind of propped up behind him as he's reclining at the table. A prostitute walks into the dining room. And all eyes are on her because this filthy, un, unworthy woman has just entered the dining room. And she starts to wash Jesus' feet, Luke says, with her tears. And she lets down her hair and she's wiping his feet. The customary, traditional act of hospitality that this Pharisee did not honor Jesus with, she's doing it instead. And she's weeping and she's down on her knees and she's wiping his feet with the dampness from her tears. And she takes a vial of perfume that was hanging on a necklace around her neck and she breaks off the top and she pours those on his feet and continues to wipe. Now, there's two responses to Jesus. Both this man, whose name is Simon, and this woman who goes, remains nameless in the story, both invited Jesus into their lives. Don't miss this. Both of them did. One of them invited Jesus in for an interview. One of them wanted to see what Jesus could offer their life, what Jesus could offer his life. All right? One of them thought Jesus might be a good role model. One of them thought that Jesus might be a wise teacher. One of them was interested in Jesus' views on politics and and money and, and social issues. You see, the Pharisee saw Jesus as a consultant for his life. How might I be impacted by this man? Does that sound familiar to you? And I'm not, and I, and I'm not passing judgment, and I'm not, I'm not ridiculing. I mean, I mean I'm, not, I'm not talking down to anybody in this room or anybody watching online. But does it sound familiar to you? Do you feel that? Some of us have been interviewing Jesus for the job of consultant for a long, long time. You see, you can believe in Jesus and still reject his name. You can keep him as a pawn to help you when life just gets hard. You can invite him into certain parts of your life. You can honor him for an hour of your time, but you, can, you cannot give him your money. Or you can honor him with your finances, but say, you can't have my sexuality. 
Or you can say, I'll honor you, Father, with the ways that you teach about sexuality, but you can't have my business practices or my relationships. So you can have my future, but you can't have my now. Because if I hold on to control, that's where I'll find freedom. Then there was the woman. I mean, she just came in and she just saw Jesus for who he was. Right? He was she needed a savior, and he was a savior. She knew that she was broken. She knew that she was hopeless. She knew that she or her life was mixed in with some moments of pleasure for certain. But it also was just enveloped in despair and shame and searching for, for significance or purpose or identity. Like that's where she was. And she just empties herself at Jesus' feet. She lets down her hair. And she poured out this very expensive vial of perfume. And so for a prostitute, this vial of perfume that hung around her neck, that was like a calling card for her trade. So she's walking through the marketplace or down the alleys, and she smells good. It was to attract men and to let them know what her main occupation was. It was her source of income. It had become her identity. And she pours it all out on Jesus' feet. Completely surrendered. I can't be this anymore once I've met him. Do you understand that? And it's not that this woman had a stronger faith than Simon the Pharisee who's sitting at the head of the table. It wasn't about she just, if you, you know, if I could just believe more like she did, if I could just surrender more, like it really, it wasn't about who had a stronger belief or who had a deeper sense of surrender. What it was really about was she had an awareness of her need to receive something that only Jesus could give her. Freedom. Jesus won't be interviewed for a position in your life. He insists that he is sovereign Lord over it. Now, I want you to take a look here at Debbie's story as she shares about how God had shaken up her life. So go ahead and take a look. When I started noticing some things going on um, with now my ex, I found myself in a situation to where I had to leave the marriage and um, in a divorce situation. And I, and it was the most humbling thing. I mean, because, you know, you go to church, you're smiling. And I mean, you walk in, you're smiling. And how is everything? Oh, it's fine. It's fine. And you're just dying inside. I mean, I had been married for 20 years. And I had these, these kids, and I had this responsibility, and not knowing what to do, and, um, and finding myself in that situation of a divorce, which I would have never thought that I would have been in. And honestly, until all of that happened, um, I didn't get it. And that 
is when I really started to get it because he was all I had. And someone had said to me, you know, you never know God is all you need until he's all you've got. But it was a very scary and wobbly time. I remember saying, I felt like I was jumping out of a parachute, out of a plane. And I knew that he was gonna catch me, but what if I slipped through his fingers? But that's where trust and faith and my relationship just kept growing and growing and growing. And um, it was, it was the scariest time of my life, but it was the most peaceful time of my life. He just kept proving me over and over again, I've got you. We're gonna do this, we're gonna take care of this. Yeah. Yeah, he has blessed me far more than I deserve. I'm in a different phase. You know, all the kids are grown, they all have kids and they're all married and so that's been a new journey for me. Uh, I'm like, okay, so what now? And, but now he's laid on my heart, probably within the last six months or so, it's time to move. I know it doesn't mean I'm physically gonna move where my children are, it's he's moving me. He's moving me personally. I have to move in order to grow. I don't think twice about it. It's, it's about his kingdom, and it's his anyway. And when I have, over the years, when I've started to be a little afraid and start to take something back, he reminds me, who's in control here? You know, when I get comfortable, he starts to stretch me again. I'm just ready. I hope you caught what Debbie said there. Once you've encountered Jesus, he requires and he asks of you trust. Because he wants to move us. But movement comes with surrender. And freedom is found in surrender. And I, and I love how Debbie just talked about, she, there was this point where she had this decision to make. She's surrendering, is she going, is she going to try to hold on to it? I want you to see what happens to Peter and John next when they're in front of this when they're in front of the court officials here in verse 18. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, "Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard." And then after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all of the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. They couldn't make sense of the power and the movement of God. They couldn't wrap their heads around it. They were experiencing something. And here's what Jesus' name, I told you there was three things, and as we end this morning, this is it. Here's what Jesus' name will do through you, through you. He does something in you, and then he's going to do something through you. He moves you forward in boldness. He moves you forward 
and boldness. Listen, ultimate authority in your life and in my life will always come from somewhere. You will assign ultimate authority to something or to someone in your life. We don't have a choice. It's going to come from your religious tradition. It's going to come from our experiences. It's going to come from our culture. We all bow our heads to some authority. The question that we have to answer is, will we surrender to the person into the name of Jesus? And that's what I'm asking you to ask yourself this season, in this season that we call shaken. To shake you up and to move, your, move you forward, to do something in you that, you, that you're placing your belief, you're, you're repenting of the ways that you've not been honoring God with your life, and, and you're saying, I'm yours, I'm taking a deeper step of trust, that you would go on that journey with us this season. That he would shake you up and do something in you so that he can move powerfully through you. And that's what you see happening in Acts chapter 3, in Acts chapter 4, and beyond. That a movement began. And I love Debbie saying that. I just need to move. Like a movement began when God does something in you and then he does something through you because you see your family start to change. And then you start to see your community change. And then collectively, as we move forward as a church body, our city will be changed. So here's what I want to ask you to do. God's power always wants to change a heart in the holy name of Jesus so that then collectively hearts that are being transformed can move together in power through his church. So personally, and I'm talking about White Oak right now, I'm talking about you then. What have you been clinging to in search for freedom there's something that you've been holding on to that you've not surrendered to Jesus. And would you consider in the urgent moment of today, because we serve a God who is now for you, would you let that thing go and turn it over to Jesus today and step out in obedience and trust? Let's pray with me. Father, we are praying to you, Father, the same God the same God who left heaven and came to earth, the same God who healed and performed miraculous signs, the, signs, the same God who shook the space where those believers were praying because they surrendered their hearts to you and asked you to do God-sized things. Father, you are the God, you are the Father, through your name of your son Jesus that we are asking right now in this moment, Father, in, in our lives, in the lives of our children, in our households, Father, and through this church, we're asking you to show up in powerful ways to heal, to forgive, and to empower us to movement. This we pray in your name, Father. Amen.